Welcome to Cars and Kung Fu, a podcast of two entirely different subjects, totally unrelated. I am your host, Chris Vicente, and I have my two co-hosts with me, Delmar Miner. Hey. And Coven Blackman. What's up? All right. So, Coven, a lot of new cars coming out, seeing yes, a lot sir. of new stuff. A lot of stuff has dropped over the past couple weeks. We got that new Maverick uh, truck. We don't want to talk about that, but hey. yes. Hey, um, hybrids new. are in. Hybrids are hybrids in. Are in. Uh, Almost used to, you know, used to be a muscle car, but okay. I think, uh, didn't Acura make some announcement? Oh, okay. Some, you know some what? Car coming. You're disrespectful. Listen, he knows what got dropped. The new Integra looks okay from the one photo that they showed, which is not the whole car. I'm already excited because it says Integra on the front of it. A lot of people... So the car community is actually mixed on it because they really, they're like, oh, it's just going to look like a TLX and for the front. And it's just going to be some two door or, you know, we don't know how Honda's going to do it. Honestly, I'm not too worried because Honda and Acura, they both kind of have always stuck to their names. Um, not like the Maverick, of course. Um, and they have stuck to their names. Um I think I think it's gonna look good. I think it's gonna get that styling in. Um, Delmar, I have a question. Um, with the new cars coming out, I remember you know Chris saying that some of them are, I guess, hybrids. You said the Maverick was a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing more cars gearing more toward hybrid or, or electric? Because I know for myself. My next vehicle, I would like it to be either a hybrid or an electric vehicle. So are, are you seeing more of a trend in that area? Um, just kind of curious. Well, I'm glad that you asked that because, and that's unscripted, but I'm glad you asked that because most of the companies now are all going towards either being electric or hybrid. Um, Honda announced, I forget, Chris, you remember when they announced? They announced it was 20, 25 or something like that when they said that they were said that the, all of their new cars were all going to be either electric or hybrid. Uh, Range Rover and Jaguar have already said that they're only going to produce electric and hybrid uh, in the next coming years. Almost everybody has said it. Um, only the couple of the uh, American manufacturers have, haven't kind of said that. Dodge said that they're going to drop a new EV. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but honestly, I mean, Couple years, you can just look on a, on any car lot, and you'll just see all electric besides the used. So, do you feel like the electric and hybrid vehicles are going to become more affordable? Because I would, in in a dream world, one day I would love to get a Tesla, but you know, right now they're a little bit out of my price point. So, do you feel like they're going to become more affordable in the future, or is it just what do you think? Well, Tesla's coming out with a hot hatch. They're coming out with a little hatchback that's going to be in the twenty five thousand, starting the twenty five thousand range. Well, that's not bad. Hmm. And also, I'll say this: now, yeah, they're probably going to become more affordable. For example, because um, I just double checked my my work here. I mean, California themselves said all new car sales twenty thirty five have to be electric. They have to be all electric, no hybrid, no nothing. So Tesla's probably going to. Tesla is, imagine Tesla as the BMW right now of electric cars. They are the top bracket. They're going to be, you know, the top brand for probably a while. They have the luxury and they're different. Um, just like BMW was when 
you know, being luxury Mercedes and all the German manufacturers. They've always seen high in luxury. We'll see Tesla now, what they're probably going to do is Tesla has always, Elon Musk himself has always tried to stick towards, I want to make an affordable car that everybody can buy. He started out high with the Model S. He started out high with the Model S, and that was going in the 80s, 70s? 80s to 120s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 120 for like the top package for like the P100D, I believe. Yeah, yeah. it was dual motor. That was around the 100s, and now you're looking at, you can go get a Tesla right now for about 50, 40 grand, brand new. I mean, you can't go get one, sorry. <clears throat> Order one off the Tesla site for 50 to 40 grand, and they're just getting, they're reducing their prices. Now, I mean, of course, they won't go down to like Mitsubishi Mirage prices where you can go on the lot, it's 12 grand all the way out. But, I mean, every car manufacturer now is just, everything's getting electric. So you probably will see cars that will be really cheap and will be able to be affordable and electric. The good, um, the good thing is uh, you're getting the economies of scale. So as they produce more electric batteries, more parts, that makes everything less expensive because they're just producing more. Remember DVDs when they first came out? I right. Paid, I paid like two hundred dollars for my first DVD player. What? And it's yeah, this was the nineties, and you know they're thirty nine dollars at Walmart now. So. Mm-hmm. That's true. Thirty nine dollars for a pack of them. Honestly. I'm talking about the players. Oh, the players. Oh, okay. I was about to say. I was like, wait. It's like I heard you say two hundred for the DVD player, and then I thought. Heard you say 39. I was like, okay, he's talking about like the DVD packs. So not trying to get too far off the topic, but so so if 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 you see more electric cars and hybrids, well, how does that change the the car industry as far as for like mechanics and things like that? Because I mean, what what happens then? So I'll tell you right now. Um on the last podcast, we were kind of talking about more of like the paper tiger things and you know, more um all bark and no bite. Well, some of the technicians now are facing that because more and more electric cars are coming into these dealerships and, oh, I've never worked on that. It's all electric. I thought I heard that thing run. You know, stuff like, it's dumb stuff like that. But um, more and more techs, it's going more and more towards mechanics to um, automotive technicians. Um, Engineers. every, Every brand new car that comes in probably has to be updated, is updated. They always send it through an update and that fixes sometimes that fixes most of the stupid problems. I know a guy who works at Tesla and most of the problems that he might run into that aren't suspension work can be fixed with like an update or contacting the Giga factory in California. And next thing you know, the car is fixed. Um, so it's more stuff like that where that's probably what it's going to have to be. Somebody just has to contact Ford or contact Nissan and say, hey, this car is doing this. Oh, well, did you update it? Okay, send the update through. They update it, just hook the laptop up to the car, and then something's fixed. Um, Essentially a software patch mm -hmm. like you would on your computer. So, wow. So, basically, your car is kind of like, you know, sometimes now your phone glitches, and you're like, oh, I just need to update it. Exactly. And And that's exactly how it is now. Oh, wow. Or Or an app starts breaking, and next thing you know, you just install the update and it's fixed again because they just lost some like stability update. That's basically what cars are now. That's what Tesla is now. And um, it's just going more and more towards just extra stuff. Like for example, my cousin brought her uh, Kia Sentra, uh, Sentra, 
Kia sent. Wow. Kia. Kia Sorrento. Don't sound, sound I don't know why. I'm supposed to be working at Kia. See, uh, Kia Sorrento uh, to me because the um, when she tried to close her uh, trunk, it wouldn't close. And it's 2017, but it has all these features. So the first thing I jumped on was, is a feature broken? Does it need an update? I'm looking through this manual, which, you know, car manuals used to be not that many pages uh, in like the 2000s. I'll say that they weren't that many pages. You know, it just tells you about features. I mean, this is solid, probably about 600 pages worth of book. And it took about 10 pages for me to see Everything on this trunk, it closes by itself, it opens by itself, it should latch by itself. There's three buttons that control the trunk just to up, uh, make it go up and down. And I'm testing all these buttons and all that just for the latch to be broken. I tested the latch before, but I was like, okay, you know, it gives you this thing. Okay, you need to walk through these steps to make sure it's not, you know, the electric software. I do all that and latch was broken. Is techs now have to figure that out because it could be A, something electrical, or B, something mechanical. It used to just be most likely something mechanical or something that can be picked up easily. It's not like that anymore. No, your, your Rogue, for example, uh, there's probably at least 20 computers on that vehicle. Mm -hmm. hmm. And when you use your remote, it goes to a transmitter, which will send a signal to another computer, which is a request for you to unlock that door which will send to a door computer to unlock it. Mm -hmm. And then it will send a request. It will send a message back saying, yes, I've unlocked it. Wow. I I, I would never think my 2011 Rogue was that technological. Well, see, a lot of people don't think that now. But if you think about that in 2011, I mean, the 2020 Rogues, they've got more modules on that than anything. Maybe double the modules because almost uh, everything's a module now. You know, Nissan does the intelligent mobility and the cars mm -hmm. don't yet, but they have the capability of talking to each other. So wow. when you're down the road, if the one Nissan in front sees a highway problem, you know, a big pothole or down to one lane, instead of it going to a computer and telling the GPS up in a satellite, rather up in the sky, it'll actually just send a signal out to all other Nissans on the road. What? Yep. Mm -hmm. It's called vehicle to vehicle infrastructure. Man, that and is that's 2018 neat. and up. The cars have the capability. It's not turned on yet, but they have the capability. 2018 and up, all Fords come with 5G modems built in. Yep. And and even though I, I was going to ask this question, but you guys already kind of answered, I was going to ask, like, what kind of new features are these new vehicles going to have? But my gosh, like, that's. That's beyond even my capability of thinking. Like, like he was talking about 4G, but for Napa, for example, some of the trucks come with Wi-Fi. I mean, they just naturally have Wi-Fi um, and where you can connect. It's like a 4G thing. You go through OnStar and they just turn it on. But they all have the ability to have Wi-Fi is whether you go through OnStar and they turn it on or off. But you can connect, you know, your phone and it's mobile Wi-Fi and all that stuff just transmits the data. That's all it does. Um, while also giving you 4G speeds. But now going up to 5G, I mean, you can do almost everything and everything communicates together. And more and more manufacturers are going to become just like that, just like Ford um, and just like Nissan, where they communicate with each other. Because I believe Tesla was trying to do, you know, you want a Tesla. Tesla was trying to do the same thing. 
they were even talking about doing some type of um like Tesla chat on the road or something where you could talk to like a Tesla driver next to you or something like that. Wow. It's coming. Uh, I know our, we went from new cars out there to new technology and that's perfectly fine. But you know, one, one reason we bought our Tesla was because it updates. So the update at Christmas of 2020, my new dash looked different. Mm -hmm. So it's like having a new car. Hmm. So you don't have to go, oh, if you bought this model, it would, you know, do this or we fix that problem with this new model. No, they just fix it. When we first got it. I felt that the wipers were not sensitive enough. The next update, the wipers were more sensitive. So I didn't have to go buy a new car or anything. It just comes over the Wi-Fi. In fact, tonight we have them set up to automatically download on Sunday evening. So we'll get an update tonight. That's really cool. That's why I want one. I don't blame you. So what other uh, new features or cars are you excited about, Coven? I know you're excited about the Integra. I am. I'm too excited about that Integra. But really, um, let's see. Uh, Lamborghini just said that they're going to do the Countach, which was funny because uh, I saw a meme where, you know, everybody saw the Countach get posted that morning by Lamborghini. And we're like, oh, wow. And then the Integra. Oh, my God, it's the Integra. Um, so that was pretty funny. Uh, but Lamborghini is dropping their stuff. Um, that thing looks like a regular Lamborghini to me. That's why I'm on that train of, oh, my God, the Integra. Um, what do you think about the uh, the Nissan 4000Z or the Fair Lady or whatever they're going to call it? The 400Z, I have you know, is a wonderful vehicle, which I think people are going to be mad about it because they don't like the front. I think the rear looks good. I think the front kind of looks a little a little jagged but it looks really good i like the, the color schemes that they're all gonna run are really awesome um that green that blue just amazing um and i believe it's a twin turbo v6 yeah performance looks off the charts and that thing's about to be ripping uh i want to see how it teams up against, uh, how it looks up against the uh the supra because that'll probably win more jdm guys over the supra now so i'm not a big super fan at all well, see, so. most most guys are well, most guys aren't because of the BMW esque everything that it has because it is a BMW, uh, and I will say that on a podcast that it is a BMW. The key fob is the exact same, <laughs> um, so there is nothing different. I bet the grounds. I bet you pull off the grounds and they're brown. Wow. I bet you. I bet you pull them off. They're brown. That's all I'm saying. If the browns are brown, it's a BMW. That's all I gotta say. And some BMW wiring talk there for those that don't know. Mm -hmm. so. The uh, for those that don't know, BMWs. Um, for example, if you hook up your battery in your car, you know red is positive and negative is black. Well, inside the car, all of the wires that run any type of ground when power comes through and then it gets grounded uh, is black. All the wires are black. BMW is different. Theirs are brown. All of them are brown. I think it's hilarious. It makes sense, but I think it's hilarious because everybody else is black except BMW, as far as I'm aware. Well, those Germans are high sophistication, all right. So, well, we've talked about some subjects that are close to your heart. I'm going to go ahead and trigger Delmar and say, so Delmar, you've been doing some tournaments lately. We have, sir. What uh, what'd you think about the... Um, 
karate tournament we recently performed. I don't want to name any names. I don't want to, you know, get hate mail. But uh, what you think about the karate tournament that we took our students to recently? I think it was a great experience for everybody. I um, kind of went on a little tirade uh, because a lot of times as a Chinese martial artist, and I also do Okinawan martial arts as well, so I want everybody to know that. So I, I know both sides of the coin, but a lot of times when you go to these open tournaments, a lot of karate, taekwondo um, will refer to themselves as hard stylists, and they will refer to Chinese martial artists as soft stylists. Well, I don't like that because, I mean, anytime you say something is soft, it makes it sound weak. And, you know, Chinese martial arts is is not weak at all. In fact, a lot of people don't know that karate comes from kung fu. So why would you basically, in a sense, disrespect your grandfather art? You know, why, why would you disrespect that, you know, by calling it a soft style just because they practice it differently? Um I mean, the Chinese have been in countless battles and wars and their fighting methods have been proven to work. Uh, so, you know, why would you, like I said, disrespect um, a martial art that has lasted for generations? We had gone up there. We brought our students uh, and, and they all did quite well. Um, brought home some trophies. Uh, I had a student bring home grand champion. Congratulations to her. And so uh, she did a fantastic job. I mean, she trained hard. And um, I, we had a conversation how uh, they were, few of them were quite surprised at how well she did. Well, I mean, I think it just goes back to what I was just saying. A lot of people who do those styles, you know, they don't think the Chinese martial arts works um, because, you know, you'll see more Kung Fu and things in movies because it's flashier. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks good on camera. You know, some of the techniques are more difficult. And, you know, um, you do see a lot of people who do a lot of performance with Kung Fu nowadays. So, I mean, I, I get that it has that stigma, but Kung Fu is an effective fighting art and it works if you train it the right way. Well, we did come back from the uh, U.S. Guoshu Federation very different tournament, all Chinese for the most part. Some Kempo in there, which is really good. But, of course, we have the Lei Tai fighting. We have the uh, sword fighting, uh, staff fighting. Um, and we do have the light contact sparring. Um, I know we had some students up there competing. We had a good time. Uh, Three-day tournament, probably about five to 700 competitors at any one time. Uh, what did you think of... What would you think if uh, some of the um, people from this regional tournament went up there to see that? I think it would change their mindset on how they perceive Chinese martial arts. Um, a lot of people who don't do Chinese martial arts don't know that there is a style of full contact fighting known as Lei Tai. And Lei Tai is on a raised platform. Um, you know, back in the day, I mean, these were death fights and people could easily fall off these platforms to, to severe injury or death. Hmm. Um, and so those things are still done today, you know, without the death part, <laughs> <laughs> but the full contact fighting is still there and people get hurt. Um, and they're wearing minimal gear. And even though, uh, people wear a, a face cage to protect, protect your face. 
I mean, I've seen people with, you know, busted orbital fractures. Um, I mean, their face is black and blue, uh, lips split open. I mean, it can get brutal up there. And a lot of people don't realize that is a part of Chinese martial arts culture, lay tie fighting. And, it, you know, respect to anybody that gets on the lay tie because you can get seriously hurt and uh, respect to Sifu Chris and respect to myself. We've both done it. And, you know, obviously that has helped our skill a lot. So there's a lot of things that people don't understand about Chinese martial arts um, that, you know, there are a lot of things and fighting tactics and skills and and tournaments that we do that do develop true skill. But, you know, it's just not as mainframe and mainstream, I mean, as uh, like karate or taekwondo. Do you feel as though Tai is such a you've made it? type of thing or is Tai such a like i'm trying to word myself here do you believe that Tai is like the big boys of kung fu or do you just believe like what do you believe about Tai? that was a terrible way to word i it. don't i don't believe that it's necessary the big boys of kung fu because it's a training aid i would never uh judge someone just on their not Tai doing Tai. okay uh, and for example, they have age limits. So if I have a student that comes to me in their late 30s, I don't expect that they're ever going to do lay tie. There's there's no way they can. They're not they're already too old because mm-hmm. there's age limits on it. And you don't want someone to go out there. So I would not ever want someone to feel like, oh, well, I never did lay tie. So I'm never going to be that upper echelon martial artist. That being said, it is a valuable tool for training. I know when I fought in 1999, I and I lost. I'm not going to say, you know, I was some kind of great fighter because I wasn't, but I learned so much about my art uh, and so much about training and, and discipline and skill that just went beyond that. And so someone who may be older and come in, uh, they may not fight, but they could easily train and at least know the training methods uh, that are used to train for lay tie, and they could easily become a coach or anything else. But I would never want someone to feel like, well, I wish I had started earlier because then I could have done lay tie and I, I would be a, a better Sifu. Well, there's lots of things I could have done that I would have been a better instructor. Um, and I did fight lay tie. So uh, there are many other aspects of training. But I don't think that should be a definition as far as like you've made it, uh, because I just don't think that we want to because uh, Kung Fu to me is inclusive. And I want to include everybody in an art that has given me pretty much everything that's been good in my life. What do you think, Sifu? I, I agree with, with what you said, Sifu, Chris. Um, you know, you don't need to do Lay Thai in order to, you know, obviously be a good martial artist or okay. have true fighting skill. And like you said, it is a valuable uh, tool. And I, I have seen some gentlemen who are older who they have they've done it. And, you know, I don't I don't remember what the outcome was. But, um, yeah, it, it can be really rough if you're an older person, because, I mean, that's a lot of contact and a lot of, you know, injury is easier to get. So um, a lot of it's for safety. It's kind of like MMA. 
you know, MMA, you don't see 50 50 year old men and, and women doing MMA anymore. I mean, same thing with other hard contact sports. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, yeah, it's a great training tool. If you're, uh, you know, a younger martial artist is, is something great to get into. And I would say, uh, to kind of answer your question about, is it the upper echelon? I mean, for us, it, it, it is kind of getting into higher level skills of fighting, but obviously now you have your mixed martial arts where you can go and, and spar in a cage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess there is that next professional level. If you want to go that route. It's like, you know, we did cheap racing. Yeah. We were, uh, you know, uh, we we're on a low budget when we did champ car racing. That doesn't make us less race car drivers. I mean, we're not NASCAR. We're not yep. out there running uh, with them. We're not Formula One. We're not the IMSA series. SCCA. Uh, but, you know, we're at the beginning and yet we still race. We're still wheel to wheel. We still, you know, ran the same course that they run. So uh, it's just a lower form, but it's it's just what we could do with the budget we had. And I look at martial arts that way. It's what we did uh, with where we were at in life. I was never going to be a professional fighter. So it let me get that experience without, you know, training six hours a day to get into a cage or boxing ring or kickboxing ring or whatever discipline you want to go into. Um, so that's kind of where I stand on the lay tie and, and where it is kind of in the ranking. Okay. So, so we had a interesting experience at the tournament. Um, I know that you, uh, you have some ideas on the, uh, the breaking portion we saw. <laughs> Listen, if um, that was like the monster truck rally of martial <laughs> arts right there, man, I'm telling you, like it was so entertaining. I uh, people breaking baseball bats, breaking bricks, glass. I mean, glass. I mean, you you name it. It was something to be broken there. And um, there were, you know, grown adults. There were kids doing it. It was it was a spectacle to watch. Very entertaining. Cohen, do you have a question about breaking? So what, so in terms of breaking, uh, cause we discussed this a little bit before we, um, hopped on this. Um, I know that breaking is in terms of, you know, breaking boards or breaking whatever, but what also consists of what was the difference between what you consider would be professional breaking and what you considered, like redneck breaking. <laughs> um, I mean, okay. So, you know, we've all heard the old adage, you know, Bruce Lee, boards don't hit back. Mm-hmm. So being able to break is a skill. And we talked about that on a previous podcast. It's a skill. It's a conditioning skill. Um, and, and really the purpose of breaking is to develop your body to be able to you know, hit objects, you know, hard. So you know, if you hit, the, have to hit a human being, obviously you're going to cause a lot of damage. But anyway, um, I mean, I, I guess I would say, ooh, I don't know how I would answer that one. See, Chris, how, how, help me out with this one. I don't know. I've seen um, there are breaking techniques, and it is a skill. You can set breaks up to 
have the materials assist you in breaking more materials. Mm-hmm. But as trained martial artists, we see that. So in like some professional breaks that I've seen on ESPN and some other things, they aren't set up that way. It's more a, a true show of talent that you are able to break through all those boards or you're able to break through all those uh, through all those uh, tiles or uh, bricks or whatever. Uh, the hardest break I ever saw was an unsupported break. In other words, the man set the brick on the ground and then used his forearm to crack it. Oh, that's impressive. So that was that was quite an impressive, uh, quite an impressive break. Uh, that was a Shingy Shingy Tuan guy. That's, I that's saw do really that. hard to do. Oh, I'll tell you about one impressive break that we saw. Um, the gentleman put an egg in his hand. Okay, and broke. Um, and broke a brick that way, which is pretty difficult because obviously if you're going to have an egg in your hand, you know, um, the point of the break is to break the brick, but not break the egg. egg. Mm-hmm. And that was does take a lot of skill. Yeah. And that's and that's hard to do because obviously you when you hit something, you have to have that tension. So obviously you're going to squeeze your hand. So in order to break it and not break the egg takes an enormous amount of conditioning and and focus. OK. Didn't, so any didn't think I'd hear about that one. <laughs> any other aspects of the of the two tournaments that you want to compare? Um, you know, I just I just want to say that you, I I feel like uh, the Goshu tournament does an excellent job with its uh, its judges. They do an excellent job training the judges. I think at a, some of the local tournaments, they don't necessarily be able to get that level of training. And I think that would help the local tournament scene be a little bit more consistent if they would do more training for judges instead of just kind of pulling people off the street. Um, going back to, you know, previous topics, I guess it all loops around. You know, you have a lot of paper tigers that are judging at these tournaments that sometimes aren't necessarily qualified to do what they say they they can do. And, you know, it can be a disservice sometimes to your students because you're having somebody judge you or judge your student that may not necessarily have the qualifications or the skill to do so. I do um, appreciate holding the local tournament that it is hard to get everybody together, especially for one day to get any kind of training like that. But as we go online, it does does seem like it may be something that could be a little easier handled well and and i gotta give props to you because cacma is a local tournament but you do training for your judges which makes the tournament good so it can be done because you've proven it salutes to you sir so all right so as i usually do have a little bit of a uh trivia at the end so uh 1947 Quan Tak Hing began playing Wong Fei Hong in the Guangzhou Adventure of the Fearless. And also in 1963, on December 1st, Wendell Scott got a win at Jacksonville Speedway, was not honored for that until just this past Daytona race and the summer race of 2021. Beautiful trophy. Being a, uh, a black man that won a NASCAR race in Fortunately, NASCAR has made that right, and they seem to be doing a good job with that. That's all we have time for today. Coming in from 
beautiful downtown Mint Hill recording studios of our super producer, Bonnie Lee. Big shout out to her. And we will catch you on the next podcast. Thank you so much.